This Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, and tonight's Late Late Show will be hosted by me, Emily Edwards. This week, we're going to look at how to set one of a teacher's biggest workload tasks lesson planning. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio and as I said my name is Emily Edwards and if this is your first time with me and hopefully it won't be you're coming back for more uh, I'm currently teaching secondary history time classroom teacher I started my NQT year back when it was called an NQT in 2017 and I have an MPQ amount as well as experiences in middle leadership both in temporary positions as pastoral deputy head of sixth form and curriculum lead for history, thankfully not at the same time. I also have experience in teaching Key Stage 3 to 5 for history and Key Stage 5 or A-level experience for politics. So with introductions having been made, tonight we're going to explore how to take one of our potentially most time-consuming tasks, that's lesson planning, and rework it to save time without sacrificing quality. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers, Workers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their career. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. RAC remains the top education story across many media outlets, with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or parked areas containing the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing, but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair, and now rack concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively whilst opposition leader Sakia Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. 
In Scotland, Humza Youssef has outlined his plans for the coming year with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a thousand more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward. But those in receipt of the Scottish child payment will receive them first by 2024, with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single-use vapes and linked this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disps, including consulting on an outright ban. According to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teacher suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. The current education ministry blamed the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasised students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter argument for not, and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere, on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. You get the point. I personally like a digital diary as it suits the way I work. I can add links to online meetings, add notes and attached documents. I can see my day, week, month, year at the click of a button. And the most useful thing for me is I get reminder notifications. One thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school, as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move. And probably most importantly, if you're using your phone, Will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is there 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using Do Not Disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, welcome back. So welcome back to the show. So as I said, today we're going to be looking at lesson planning and in particular looking at how teachers can start to reduce some of their workload, potentially by tackling one of our biggest tasks and finding different shortcuts and different ways to help reduce the amount of time we're spending on our planning and using that time more efficiently, hopefully then create the best lesson plans we can without sacrificing our weekends, our evenings and every hour God sends us. So with that being said, 
let's have a look at the context behind our lesson planning. So what is it and why do teachers obviously spend so much time on it? So lesson planning, as we know, is the process by which teachers prepare and organise content, material and the methods that we'll use to teach students about a particular topic or skill or sometimes both. This sort of plan ensures that lessons can remain structured and that we have clear objectives and that ultimately the learning needs of students are met. Effective lesson planning should take into consideration the learning objectives, students' prior knowledge, engaging activities, assessment methods and any necessary resources. So ultimately, we have to try and provide that coherence and purposeful instruction within the time that we have and plan, obviously, our lessons and our activities around those objectives. In theory, uh, if done really well, lesson plans should be flexible. Uh, to adapt to different needs in the classroom. Say, for example, a wasp flies into the room, we need to obviously be able to adapt our lesson plan on the fly to deal with potential carnage, while still obviously providing uh, classic structure for students day in and day out to learn what they need to learn. So, in my opinion, I think lesson planning is such a fundamental part of teaching because it serves such a wide range of purposes. Uh, pretty much for any given teacher, whether they're brand new or incredibly experienced. So firstly, obviously lesson planning does what it says on the tin. It structures lesson time so that students develop their understanding of a new topic. So going from the introduction to the topic to embedding that knowledge, confident with it, and ultimately, if we're lucky, students becoming uh, masters in that topic and feeling incredibly uh, able to express what we need them to express when under more pressure conditions, whether that's uh, speaking to a different member of staff, explaining a concept to students, or indeed, as we know for GCSE, A-level and SATs, being able to do it under timed exam conditions. So without good lesson planning, uh, students in essence won't obviously be able to learn the basics of our subjects. And from that point, then they won't be able to build on that learning and create thorough mental models of our subjects. So, for example, if I'm not planning lessons really clearly and succinctly on different aspects of causes of World War One, so a lesson on militarism, alliances, imperialism, nationalism, the assassination of Ferdinand, all that jazz, then I won't be able to ensure that students could explain the causes of World War One and make sure that then they can obviously talk about the causes of conflicts um, and build those thorough mental models around it. Hi Paul, thanks for the message. Um, and obviously that's important for me as a historian and making sure that obviously those lesson plans are really important in out um, our ability to teach students what we need them to know. So creating good lesson plans it's also really useful for recapping past knowledge, giving students the tools to review their own learning throughout the lesson. And so obviously this is where we introduce um, retrieval practice questions, recap starters, hinge questions, and everything that we need both at the start and the end of the lesson to make sure that uh, students can build on that knowledge throughout. If we've got any ECTs or training listening at the moment, um, obviously lots of different talk about exit tickets, plenaries, um, introductions, hinge questions, all that information is out there. Um, in essence, it's making sure we're checking for understanding that students know what they're talking about. So different ideas, same sort of purpose. And in terms of obviously lesson planning itself, um, we make sure that we use our lesson plans, not just from the technical perspective, but also as well, we can actually use them in terms of behavior management. A quick paced lesson can avoid a lot of dead time or lulls where less than stellar students can take advantage. And lesson planning can have the challenge and scaffolding required. Students who finish tasks early aren't then using the time to distract others. And this isn't to say that a good lesson can fix student behavior, not by any stretch. Um, I know just as much as anyone that if a student wants to disrupt a lesson, they will find a way no matter how brilliant the lesson is and how great the lesson planning is. But ultimately, I think, especially for newer teachers, using lesson planning and thinking carefully about how they're structuring a lesson um, can be an extra tool in their tool belt to adapt to the class um, that they have in front of them and even just small changes such as deciding in your plan that uh, we are 
using a verbal task rather than a written task might be better for students who are really excited and want to share their opinions and are really eager to get involved. Or again, vice versa, if you need students to be calm and focused, changing a task in your plan from a verbal to a written task might help students really calmly think about what they need to do and embed that knowledge even further. So even just small tweaks in our lesson plans can have such a significant impact. And that's why I think it's really important and why I wanted to do a whole show today about lesson planning and how we can adapt it uh, without adding to our workloads to make sure that we are getting the best results. So on the one hand, we notice that lesson planning can also play to a teacher's strengths. So for example, are you able to hold a class in the palm of your hand with your storytelling? Are you great at modeling equations or exam question structures under a visualizer? Are you the sort of teacher who's ahead of the curve in supporting your uh, SEN students and you know exactly how to adapt a lesson in the best possible ways? Well, if we use that lesson planning to our advantages and we tweak how we plan and we understand ourselves as teachers, then we can actually reflect our strengths in our planning um, on a more consistent level rather than just for those brilliant dare I say, Ofsted outstanding uh, lessons, but also just for our special uh, lessons as well when we really shine. So for example, the storyteller might have uh, a PowerPoint slide with a picture rather than a chunk of text. So that way then they can embellish their story, have a visual model for themselves without having students' attention diverted. For the modeler, they might actually help um, themselves by adding in more opportunities in their planning to do more modeling, to play to their strengths there. And in terms of the SEN whiz, then they might structure the lesson in a way that meets the different needs of students without them having to um, kind of reactively respond to students. They might be able to add in more proactive measures that they know would work and therefore obviously ease the workload on themselves as they're actually teaching the lesson. However, on the other hand, um, lesson planning not only kind of supports uh, the teacher's strengths, but also if a teacher does have any weaknesses, and I say weaknesses, um, not as kind of a critical way, but more so if there are any elements that we don't feel particular about. So for example, uh, for myself, uh, I know that my school switched from AQA exam board to OCR last year. And so a lot of my lessons last year had extra slides that supported me, especially when it came to exam technique, having um, the best kind of clearest approach in my mind, based on mark schemes and specs and whatnot, having those extra slides in and planning for the time to explain it really clearly to students meant that uh, when I was going over those exam questions, I felt more confident as a teacher and knew exactly how to break it down because I'd already broken it down in my plan and made sure then that I could really easily and clearly explain that to my students. So I think as well, when we're looking at planning, it's not necessarily just what's best for students, but also how do we make sure that we're supporting ourselves to bring out the best possible uh, lessons that we can on a consistent basis without burning out and uh, kind of going too far in one direction. So in essence, um, when we're looking at lesson planning, I think one of the big questions that a lot of staff have when they're running out of time on a week and they're realizing they're gonna to have to take work home with them or prep lessons or adapt lessons for the week after. Why does lesson planning take so long? And in terms of obviously for teachers, I know that obviously experience means we can shorten the time and make things a bit uh, easier as so we're not having to do things completely from scratch. But in terms of even uh, more experienced teachers can find it can, drag on a bit and we can get a bit carried away with our lesson planning and I found that um, lesson planning can take longer more particularly for newer teachers so um, if you are in ECT if you're in your early years kind of career if you are teaching a new year group I know we might have some primary school listeners um, they obviously will have to potentially change year groups and therefore change approaches and that obviously might take longer to plan and to structure lessons purely because they're less familiar with the content or effective strategies for the class in front of them. Obviously, they can pick that up very quickly. We are professionals after all. Um, but understandably, experienced teachers will have that bank of resources and techniques and tools that they can wheel out at a moment's notice. And we obviously need to make sure we're aware 
that new members of staff or teachers with new uh, classes in front of them may not have that uh, same level of resources or those tools in their tool belts. So without access to kind of uh, excellence and regular teaching materials, textbooks, technology, any of the resources, understandably, teachers may have to spend extra time creating or finding suitable materials, dragging out the process. So the biggest hurdle for any teacher, I think, regardless of experience and why we're seeing uh, lesson planning take significantly longer, is the introduction of any new curriculum, any new schemes of work, exam board, or any other external standard. I've already talked about my experience, obviously moving from um, uh, AQA to OCR, but I think everybody can uh, relate to the idea of having to adapt to a new curriculum and understanding the nuances of an exam board um, can be incredibly difficult and time consuming. And as a result, adjusting lesson plans, tweaking content, adding in different exam technique um, lessons or um, details to our kind of day-to-day teaching is going to add to our really what we want to have as teachers. We want to have the flexibility and the confidence to be able to do our job of teaching and do that well every single day. So in terms of uh, my experiences of adapting lessons, um, I had a very strenuous to we say year last year having the materials from scratch, uh, scratch because our school um, had been AQA for I think nearly a decade at that point and so moving to OCR meant obviously reviewing specs which added extra time changing timings of lessons building schemes of work and making sure that my colleagues and I were really confident with what we were teaching um, even though the content was similar obviously the exam boards and the exam technique is all different and so knowing firsthand how long that lesson plan can take, we could have obviously cut down that time significantly if we were still with the same exam board, if we still had that same curriculum um, and same specification. So in terms of why I obviously put this uh, kind of together tonight, looking at lesson planning and cutting it down, that was one of my biggest motivating factors um, last year of going, right, I need to find strategies that cut some uh, time off my jobs and still keep the same level of quality that I wanted um, for my students every single uh, day. So hopefully that answers your question, Paul. Thank you for being patient and waiting for me. But um, in terms of other issues that teachers can face in lesson planning, we can also have external demands. Um, so obviously, if new technology is being introduced in a school or tailoring lessons to different students, I know that currently we've had uh, students who have entered the school with uh, Tourette's. And so obviously making sure that we're planning in our lessons, potentially time to make sure that students feel comfortable, that they're not feeling on edge, maybe reducing some uh, longer silent tasks if possible to ease um, their discomfort. But obviously, I'm sure everybody uh, listening can give some examples uh, ways they've had to adapt their lesson planning to meet either the students' needs or new introductions uh, from school, visualizers, um, uh, presenters, uh, new like Teams or uh, Google or any sort of drive like that. Obviously, that can impact different uh, lesson planning times. So I'm sure you can come up with everything under the sun from what your school may have introduced that adds to your uh, time. And it's not just as well having these new tools or new uh, demands introduced. It's obviously, from our perspective, wanting to use what we know and what we've been given to the best of our ability. So for example, visualizers are a nice, easy example. Um, having new technology. It's not just about plugging in and get going. You obviously need to research how to use the visualizer, what best methods are used, um, looking at pedagogy and seeing what works and what doesn't. I know um, within our department running a CPD session on them, it was wild to see the different um, understanding regarding visualizers, what it could be used for. And in terms of uh, the math as well, the, and I say this with a bit of a shudder, the non-negotiable of using these visualizers puts um, kind of unexpectedly, I think for me, surprising the amount of pressure on even experienced staff thinking of how they're going to incorporate it, how they have to change some of their lesson plans around to make sure that he'd incorporated visualizers specifically. And again, it's trying to find those shortcuts to deal with 
any new technology or any new pressures to make teaching easier for us. We want to be able to do our jobs really well. No one comes into the profession wanting to do a poor job. And so in essence, we need to make sure that hopefully throughout the end of the show, you feel a bit more confidence in ways to cut down that timing and improve um, your kind of quality of teaching without adding to your workload. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm really guilty of the next uh, reason why lesson planning takes so long, and I'm sure I won't be the only one. But I think within the teaching profession, there is a desire for perfection in our lessons. Um, And I know from my experience teaching, but also uh, from when speaking to my colleagues, having a sense of perfectionism is always the hardest thing uh, in terms of dealing with kind of managing our expectations and making sure that we don't overplan in the pursuit of this perfect lesson that is completely unachievable, but is still something we are desperate to reach out to. And I think ultimately that comes from the idea that we really want to do the best job for our students. We really care about results, not just from a data perspective, but seeing obviously students have that light bulb moment of really getting it, as well as um, obviously that end of the day um, results of, you know, a GCSE, a SATS result, an A-level result. We really want for them. And so we never want to kind of walk away from a lesson going, we've we've really messed that one up. I'm going to have to try that again. And I think that pressure we put on ourselves um, through a genuine sense of passion and that uh, desire to do the best for our students means that we are sometimes very tempted to overinvest in a lesson, sometimes more than it needs. And sometimes we get guilty of uh, kind of trying to remake this perfectly good lesson that works well just to see if we could make it better, when in fact we could just leave it alone and it would work absolutely brilliantly as is. And it's fantastic to hear from Paul, absolutely, that there's not always been an expectation from SLT or from um, kind of leadership to push uh, new technology. And I'm really glad that obviously you've um, had the experience of being able to bring that into the classroom for yourself rather than having it kind of thrown on you and um, kind of expected to make it work. But absolutely, I do, I, I, mean, I know I've kind of made visualizers a bit of a demon, here, but I do absolutely agree with Paul. They are lovely to use in lessons when you see students um, kind of see how you're working or particularly if it is an excellent student's work. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. And it is great to see that mirroring back. And I think when we plan that in and we prepare for that and we kind of either put in the short term investment or we have the flexibility to adapt when and where we use those visualizers, we can absolutely see those benefits and feel positive about that addition rather than feeling it's another job on the to do list. Absolutely. And kind of finally wrapping up then the why uh, lesson planning takes so long. And I think this one is something we don't actually have a lot of control over, unfortunately. But it's the role of kind of external interruptions in our PPA time or our planning time. And this isn't something that is kind of malicious in terms of, you know, the evil moustache twirling SLT finding new ways to take up uh, PPA time. I think it's just more innocent things such as uh, kind of unexpected meetings if a student acts, uh, asks to pop in to see you. Obviously, we're never going to say no, we're busy, we're planning our lessons, can you come back another time? We'll always make time for our students. Um, or even if it's just some kind of other unforeseen responsibilities, uh, so if a time uh, table during the day has to adapt, has to change due to things like a fire drill, or um, I know next week we've got. Um, different kind of speakers coming in which means longer assemblies that might change obviously how our lessons work and therefore obviously trying to plan around that can be very difficult and potentially we might have a wonderful lesson ready to go that we then have to scrap or tweak to make sure that uh, we obviously fit in with these external changes which isn't ideal but ultimately is something that we can still work around and make sure that we are not um adding unnecessary workloads while still managing the gentle chaos that can sometimes be an average school day. So with all these problems, um, I've been a bit doom and gloom to start off with, but I'm only doing that to kind of set the groundwork. 
because when we're aiming to mitigate these factors, we actually have such a range of strategies uh, from technology to templates that can actually help streamline our planning process. And not just in terms of sharing resources, but also practical things we can do individually. And that's what we're going to get into in a few minutes. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. So then let's talk about some solutions then. What goes into our lesson planning on a day-to-day -day basis? And from there, where can we cut down some time? So fundamentally, I think starting with our lesson planning, we have to look at our learning objectives. And I know it's a bane to write learning objectives on your PowerPoints or into your plans, but it is something that I think is really important as a general concept uh, to define really what we want students to learn or achieve by the end of the lesson. There is no point trying to plan anything if we are ourselves kind of muddling through and hoping for the best. Now, I know obviously there's a lot of current discussion and debate around objectives rooted in Bloom's taxonomy all linked to things like smart targets. So specific, measurable, achievable, relevant and time bound. But ultimately, I don't think it really matters how you present your objectives in a sense that they should be clear, easy for yourself and students and should build on students' knowledge rather than just be a lesson purely on here's a lot of content. I hope you've remembered it by the end of it. And I think these uh, learning objectives should be able to adapt to each lesson. So instead of having to think of, write up and share these lesson objectives, um, kind of in a Sisyphus-esque, kind of pushing the boulder up the same hill every day and avoiding this kind of feeling of a divine punishment while still getting the benefits of having this clear goal for the lesson. I think it's to start with the end in mind. Um, ask yourself, in essence, what do I want students to know or be able to do by the end of this lesson? And I found that uh, cutting down my timings uh, in terms of lesson planning an easy way to do that is to kind of frame it as an inquiry question. Now, I know obviously in the humanities, inquiry questions have really been thrown at us and really encouraged. Um, I know as a history teacher, I've used lots of inquiry questions, uh, but RE, Geography and English have done the same. But I think it's interesting to see obviously how we can apply that technique for different subjects like maths. So rather than just having a list of very traditional Bloom's taxonomy um, based Kind of objectives moving into more questioning so what was significant about Pythagoras's theory um, allows you to then discuss obviously the theory how it was figured out and why students need to know it rather than just looking at um, the equation itself but obviously applying it whether it's applying it to different exam questions or to potentially if lesson um, has wider applications so uh, jobs careers um, university, apprenticeships, anything like that. But using inquiry questions in this way, even though we might not necessarily assume uh, that maths would be a natural fit for it, actually allows you to get a genuine sense of what you want students to achieve and expands obviously then your flexibility on what you look at in the lesson without actually having to write lots of different bullet points and targets down for students. Obviously, another great thing to cut out altogether is making the students write down any learning objectives. I've never seen this help a student whatsoever. Um, but obviously, I think it's more about what students can understand rather than um, jumping in and getting them to write down lots at the very start of your lesson. 
But I think once the structure of how you do your learning objectives, whether that is in a series of bullet points, blooms, smarts, uh, inquiry questions, once you have a basic structure, I think it's much easier then to use that as a template and copy it across uh, different lessons to make the process more systematic and therefore hopefully a little bit quicker. So then the next part, obviously, of planning is usually having to think about prior knowledge. So understanding, obviously, where our students are coming from, what do they already know about the topic? Um, we can actually cut down a lot of um, difficult uh, time wasting tools by actually um, making sure that we are using our inquiry questions as well as uh, hinge questions or polls to make things a bit quicker. So for example, um, some people might use entrance tickets to gain a sense of how confident students are. I know we use retrieval practice starters as a quick quiz to see if I need to stop and reteach anything or whether I need to and just go for it. Um, but another way to cut down the time it takes to make those questions and to set up that prior knowledge is sometimes to use um, AI. So ChatGPT as an example, although I know there are loads out there, or even sometimes Google um, as a general uh, search engine there, can still provide really simple quick fire questions that obviously after a bit of teacher oversight, nothing is uh, without a double check. To check the quality of those questions and answers um, can actually help reduce the time we take in preparing those quizzes or those ways to test student knowledge. And I found that using AI in small doses for the more menial tasks rather than for the fun stuff, which I like doing myself still, makes uh, time consuming lesson planning tasks like creating quizzes or basic resources to check for knowledge much quicker to do and then I can then tailor the lesson uh, to what I know of the class rather than spending time putting together the same five questions uh, at the start or end of each lesson. In terms of obviously uh, lesson planning, a key element, once you have the goal in mind, is to actually schedule how the lesson is going to go. So obviously this can differ depending on the length of a lesson. Uh, fortunately, there's no easy template for this amount of time for this, this amount of time for that. But um, my general uh, overview for a structure is kind of a recap starter, keyword and context, uh, tasks to introduce knowledge, hinge questions, and tasks to then build on that knowledge. And if I have time, um, kind of an optional plenary to just check for understanding and make sure students are walking out that lesson feeling as confident as possible. Now, I'm going to be honest, um, in my kind of seventh year of teaching now, I'm relatively good at judging how long tasks will take but understandably there are things that can throw me off so as I said if a wasp flies in the room say goodbye to that plenary I think first and foremost but um, also there are times when I'll just need to naturally adapt the structure. I've had students uh, really understand what I'm asking for with a meaning then I have to adjust obviously and make sure that in the back of my mind going forward when I'm planning for that class that I have the right tasks for their meeting objective and then obviously for making sure that they are uh, appropriately challenged in that lesson. Now I'll be honest I usually use that basic structure for most lessons apart from assessment lessons which obviously require different setting up tasks and pretty much just get started and go since it is an assessment which does take a lot of kind of mental load of planning off of my mind but in terms of uh, structuring lessons having some ideas for kind of adapting so I know I really like using the lineup game for example as a bit of a in the back of my mind if a class gets through this really quickly I can still plug this in as retrieval and for practice without adding to my workload no resources are needed and also making sure that students are still gaining something from the lesson. It's not just a time filler. Um, I will talk about the lineup game a little bit later and how that works. So bear with me if you are interested. But in essence, creating that standardization of this is how my general structure will work, provides that routine for students, takes a lot of pressure off of us to try and reinvent the wheel. There's no point if we have that standardization. And as well, once we have that consistency, it gives us the mental flexibility to be able to adapt and use our time rather than planning different types of structures, planning simply the adaptations, the extra challenges, the fun bits, basically. 
And so that leads us then into pacing. If obviously we've got our structure in place, and as I've talked about, knowing the class in front of you is super important, but making sure that we have an appropriate pace is very difficult, I think, to um, explain, especially outside of teaching, if you're talking about your job with others. We have to try and figure out a way that the lesson doesn't feel too fast, that students get lost, but then at the same time, not going so slow that they get bored. And I think this fits in with the flexibility requirement, as I talked about earlier. Um, so whilst it is essential that we do have that basic structure, we have a basic plan, we do need to be able to adjust and adapt. So, for example, if a student um, in my class really struggles with a core concept, so if we're talking about political ideologies, for example, and they just cannot understand communism, there is no point me moving on to discussing kind of the other end of the spectrum and talking about fascism if they haven't understood that initial concept. So. Obviously, in terms of pacing and something that is so very up in the air, we're not quite sure how to really define it. How on earth can we cut down on spending so much time uh, on worrying about it or something that may not even be an issue on the day? It might be something that actually our lessons are perfectly paced and just go, but we never know until we see the class that day. Well, First things first is I think it's important to recognize that not every lesson needs to be perfect or to have every single minute used purposefully. There are going to be times when students might turn up a little bit late, might have um, extra time needed to go over quick questions. It might be that actually this task is taking longer than we thought. I need to readjust my plan and make sure that students really understand this before moving on. And I think Boyd's um, that fear of perfectionism is focusing on the key objectives and prioritizing the activities that will have the most significant impact. Once you have that sense of what's important and what's not important, it can then be much easier in getting rid of uh, those small extra tasks that mean that we add more and more and more without overdoing it. So for example, I talked about the lineup game uh, briefly a little bit earlier. How it works is that students uh, are asked questions based on either the lesson or if you want to do a bit of interspace retrieval and show off a little bit, you can ask questions from previous lessons. If a student obviously puts the hand up, gets, they can either take somebody they uh, want in the class up into the line to go first before the rest of the room, or they can be what I call mini Spallini and they can take somebody out of the line to sit back down. We do obviously put in some basic ground rules of no shouting up, um, making sure that there's no begging, so no begging to take somebody up or take somebody down, and to obviously make sure that when they're in the line, they're quiet, not drawing attention to themselves, uh, to obviously get picked on to be removed, but also as well, that way then it's nice and a calm, fun atmosphere. And we obviously want to make sure that students are being rewarded, obviously, for when they are doing the right things in lessons. And I think the handy thing about the lineup game is that it can take as long or as short as you want. Um, it can be something as quick as a five minute task. I have in the past stretched it to about 15 minutes when students were really getting involved and we had a kind of GCSE revision. So we had lots of different content to discuss. Um, but realistically, when I was getting about to the 12 minute mark, it was really pushing it. So I would imagine that obviously keeping it to between five to 10 minutes would be best. But I found having that backup game, that task that students really love, it served purpose of retrieving knowledge and the fact that it rewarded students paying attention. Um, obviously the students listening, retaining information, practicing at home, they then get to shine by then showing off their knowledge and having the power to take somebody up or take somebody down. Um, every student likes a little bit of power. Uh, is something that I found took a lot of pressure off my planning. It was trying to create this perfect lesson that fit the time exactly. It gave me the flexibility to then go, right, if this isn't perfect, if students do get this done really quickly, um, then absolutely I have this in my backup. I can then keep the pace of the lesson appropriate. And it then gave me the confidence to keep going. Absolutely, Paul. Yes, primary school students, I can imagine, would love this in terms of being able to take people up and take people down. Um, I've yet to have a class, uh, even in A-level, realise that if they all took somebody up with them, they'd all get to leave early, um, about a minute before the end of the lesson. 
it seems to be they're so eager to take either their mates or less than mates line does help to keep a nice flow to the game but absolutely primary school uh, secondary school all this uh, works really well generally so ultimately I think it doesn't necessarily have to be the lineup game obviously I'm biased because I think it's absolutely fun but any type of game that still helps with students understanding recalling it and um, making a purposeful use of that time so actually speaking of Paul being a primary school teacher potentially games like hangman to teach proper spelling would be um, absolutely a valid alternative um, obviously art pictionary things like that to try and test different art styles could be a fun um, kind of idea off the top of my head but again it's this idea of creating these activities that require no paperwork, no extra workload on our behalf. We can use questions we've asked throughout the lesson so we don't have to come up with our heads. Um, that is a great way to be able to be flexible in our planning without actually having to um, add anything to our workload. Um, obviously, in terms of feedback, checking for understanding, making sure that students feel really confident with our lessons is, again, something really important. Data from mini whiteboards, kind of show me tasks are really great to uh, understand whether we need to pause a lesson or actually get a bit of a boost in the lesson. They've listened to me, they understand it, I can move forward. And I think ultimately where we can take some of the pressure off ourselves is uh, making sure that we use homework and feedback really effectively. For example, how do we make sure that we are not kind of writing out lots of homework tasks focused on retrieval and practice or using our feedback in terms of in lesson to spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes going over the same content when reality students know it and want to move on. I think this is where technology can come in. So obviously there are lots of resources out there to create or collate homework quiz scores or create multiple choice uh, questions. And I think sometimes that short term investment of seeing what works best for you, even if it is half an hour, Google what kind of are the best ideas and best results and taking those and seeing what works best for you actually is going to be so much more useful in the long term. Um, I know that many schools have had different softwares put upon them, but obviously using that time that the school gives for training to then add to your knowledge of, right, this works really well. Let's use it in terms of our planning, or this is absolutely rubbish. I'm going to avoid it like the plague. Whatever helps streamline the planning process is absolutely recommended here. And again, um, technology can be either a blessing or a curse. It's all how much uh, short-term investment you want to put in to get the results back. In terms of kind of uh, homework and assessment generally, Obviously, we need to make sure in our lesson planning that ultimately students are moving towards a goal, that we can then ensure they're confident with the knowledge and the skills we've taught them, and then making sure that they can then uh, take those confidently throughout the next stage of their education. So obviously, with formative assessments like lesson quizzes, class discussions, scaffolded writing tasks, or the more summative assessments like exams, I think a way to reduce our workload there is to make sure we have a really clear assessment policy in place. And this is a little bit sometimes out of our control if it's done by a head of department or curriculum lead or from SLT or a school-wide perspective. But sometimes just asking a really clear question of how are we assessing, when do they have these assessments, and ultimately then what am I doing um, in my lessons at can be a bit daunting. So Ways we can kind of cut that down is sometimes using more formative assessments. So um, hinge questions or multiple choice questions throughout the lesson can be really useful. And we can reuse those from lesson to lesson as part of uh, interspace retrieval. And that then means we don't have to come up with lots and lots of questions or have a question bank. Um, but we also can start looking at taking certain questions and just tweaking them. So I've noticed with my GCSE class, um, sometimes if I ask them, question but slightly reworded some students are fine and understand what that means and some students fall apart and not kind of dramatically but just in the moments of I have no idea what you're asking me miss um, but in terms of obviously the exam boards at GCSE they will have slightly differently worded questions based on what they've chosen that year 
not necessarily obviously what we're teaching exactly in lessons. So using the same question reworded not only reduces our workload for creating starter questions or for just generally using our questioning in our lessons, but also can be very useful to help prepare students for adapting their learning and making sure they're not learning by rote, but actually truly understanding the topic. So absolutely, yes, chat GPT, I think is absolutely brilliant and bonus points if you're then able to introduce it to different members of the staff pool, fantastic. Um, I've used that too for multiple choice questions um, because it's very straightforward. I plug in the information I want the questions for, it comes back, I then make tweaks and absolutely it speeds up the process without me having to then write from scratch, you know, when was germ theory published, who published it and so on and so forth. So absolutely using different AI, using different tools that are out there to kind of get rid of the more menial stuff, highly would recommend. So I think ultimately as well, there are some things that I will admit we can't really cut corners on. Um, and one of those big ones is about safety. So I know from a history teacher, I'm unlikely going to be in an unsafe in the classroom hopefully um, but obviously we might have obviously science teachers listening or I know with um, primary school teachers you might have to work with equipment that obviously students are unfamiliar with so like scissors or um, I know been the the big controversy around the glue gun incident in primary schools but using obviously potentially um, dangerous or more difficult um, safety considerations we cannot really skip out on our planning there but hopefully the idea is by kind of clearly communicating that to students, either in kind of a slide that you can reuse or in posters, um, we're not then obviously having to reinvent the wheel for how we express um, safety measures and precautions. Um, but also as well, in terms of cutting corners elsewhere without sacrificing the quality of our lesson plans or our questioning or our objectives or anything like that, the nice thing is it does free up our time, not just to use casually, but to then invest in different aspects of our teaching and our practice that actually matter um, on a day-to-day -day in terms of physical or emotional mental safety. So putting in extra time to make sure that our safety instructions in science when it comes to Bunsen burners, for example, are really up to date and make sure they're ex uh, extremely clear for students. This is so much better use of our time as to whether or not we use the word explain or describe in our lesson objectives. So reusing and um, kind of adapting our resources to then manage our time more effectively to use it where we want to use it obviously um, is the better play here. So ultimately then what do we think in terms of methods that we can use to cut down lesson time? Um, from what I've talked about and I have thrown a lot of ideas out there I do admit that um, I've kind of distilled it here into kind of a key list of five key methods to really reduce the planning time and give us that freedom back to either reinvest in other more important areas of our planning or teaching, or then being able to take that time back so we can um, focus on other areas of our day-to-day -day lives. So first things first, dream work. And I think this is especially important for new teachers um, having the ability to work with more experienced staff, getting feedback is so important because it's not only incredible time saver, um, but also it allows them to avoid kind of waste of time, um, kind of experimentation, because experienced teachers have been there, done that, and they know exactly what works and what uh, kind of fads to avoid. So I know um, in my department last year, I asked a member of SLT to work with um, my ECT, who I was mentoring at the time, to help create a scheme of work. And the quality of work that obviously she produced whilst working with the SLT member was so much higher than her first attempt at creating a lesson because she was then able to bounce ideas. She then heard obviously what worked and what didn't work. And ultimately then she felt much more confident going forward lesson planning because she wasn't wasting her time on lots of different things she'd seen online. She thought, this is what I need them to do. This is how I've um, kind of explored this with a member of SLT. They've been doing this topic for, I won't say donkey's years, I won't insult him. He is still relatively young. Um, but in terms of having that experience, um, she felt they're much more confident in planning lessons going forward. 
and that's going to be really useful uh, more so for our new teachers but for any teacher doing a new scheme of work or working with a new class um, taking away that time by talking to people who've been there and done that speaking of um, kind of being there and doing that a second tip is reusing and adapting. So this is probably the hardest one, I think, for me as, a, as an individual, is to not see every lesson as an exercise in perfection, but actually realizing rather than creating something from scratch, do I have a set of lessons or a set of activities that can be tweaked and reused or just used exactly as they are? So that way then I don't have to plan this um, from the bare bones every single time. I can just put this together, 20 minutes, bish, bash, bosh, and make sure then that the quality is still there and I can use the extra time for another task or for um, getting home a little bit earlier rather than staying to ridiculous o'clock in the evening. Um, three, embracing technology. So utilizing lesson planning software. Um, so obviously tips and tricks on how to use things like Microsoft PowerPoint, so helpful. Um, using resources like visualizers to cut down on the amount of annotations you might write on a PowerPoint slide. You can do that in the lesson live. Um, using apps or AI to help streamline smaller parts of the planning process, such as questioning, can be so efficient and help teachers really reclaim their time rather than putting more workload onto our plates. Um, also as well, engaging in professional development. I haven't really talked about this um, a lot generally tonight, but I think having targeted professional development. So for example, um, having visualizer training or using school uh, training time with different pieces of software, engaging with that to figure out whether it works for you can really enhance our familiarity with either content areas or improving our general kind of pedagogy and approach. And that will then make our planning uh, more intuitive over time as we're not having to start from scratch again. We can then obviously use that training and planning going forward still retains the same level of quality without adding to quantity. And we can also then use that information to share with other members of staff because whilst obviously we may be benefited with these massive bits of progress, it's nice also helping out our colleagues, especially if we're leading back into that teamwork makes the dream work idea and giving back to members of staff by helping them out too. And finally, setting boundaries and prioritizing specific times for lesson planning based on when we have the time rather than this ideal amount of time we'd like to have is going to help us be more productive. I know that I like planning lessons, um, particularly before school if I can, or after school usually if my colleagues have gone home, um, purely because as much as I enjoy uh, talking with them and conversing with them, I know that I work best when I'm kind of and just allowed to get in the zone. So sometimes it might be finding a certain place in the school to work or finding a particular time that works best for you. If you're an early bird, the morning, if you're a bit of a night owl, you might then spend more time in the evening but making sure then you're not overwhelming yourself by putting pressures to plan every single minute of the day, but taking that time, calling it quits and making sure that you're then focusing on what needs to be done rather than just what you'd like to get done in an ideal world. And ultimately, I think that my rule of thumb is trying to come up with solutions rather than just talking about the problems because understandably, we have so much work to do as teachers and we have to be constantly adapting to new ideas and new developments. And so ultimately, um, trying to find the best for us is ultimately a really good investment so that we can then find our own solutions rather than waiting for somebody else um, to create those for us. And potentially, obviously, if we make them ourselves, just like our lessons, we like making what works best for us. So overall, whilst I believe that lesson planning is a really important part of being a teacher, it shouldn't really dominate our work schedules. Um, and we should be able to try and create, obviously, those tips for ourselves. Um, absolutely making sure that we work with our SLT, with our leadership, as Paul says, to make sure that we're not then overworking ourselves for no reason. And hopefully this has helped to try and take some uh, work off your plate. I know it's a rare occurrence to have jobs taken off your plate for once, 
Um, but really do appreciate um, everybody chatting and talking to me here. Paul, thank you very much for your comments tonight. Really appreciate them. And uh, absolutely next week, obviously, um, I won't be here, but the week after, we're hoping to obviously talk and keep this discussion going, albeit with a different topic. So I'd love to see you in a fortnight's time. And obviously, keep an eye on social medias for more details. And in the meantime, take care and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teach Talk Radio.